The Performance Lab podcast is invested in the sharing of knowledge and cultivation of curiosity between makers. We invite guest artists to lead a workshop with the MFA candidates of Sarah Lawrence College, after which we interview them. We ask questions tailored to their individual practice, delving deeper into the how and the why of creation. Inspiration is all around us, but how do we hone in on the subjects that drive us? They share with us their tips, tricks, and sources of inspiration, reflect on past performances and projects, and keep us up to date with what's next. Stay tuned for the Performance Lab podcast. Hi there, and welcome to the Performance Lab podcast. I'm second year Joanna Eisenberg. And I'm first year Sarah Sterling. And today we are here with our guest artist, Donna Dennis. Welcome. Nice to be here. (laughs) So normally our first question uh, is about what we did in our workshop for Grad Lab today. But today is a very special episode of Grad Lab because <laughs> we're doing everything via online platforms as we are all sequestered in our houses. So I guess the first question is, have you ever done anything like this before? No. <laughs> the new world. Although I found I tended to think of you and Dan, all of you as being in one place, and then I was in this place like you know you were still in a classroom at uh sarah lawrence (laughs) but everybody and all the news people now too are in their living rooms yeah have you um have you ever done workshops in person that have had as many technical difficulties as we have had today no No. And I taught for quite a few years <laughs> and did a lot of visiting artist things too. <laughs> You're slipping away, Joanna. Um, I'm, I'm sitting in my bed because it's where I've been sitting for a week. And I so saw I'm like adjusting my pillows. So <laughs> you had mentioned the use of sound in one of your pieces. Do you use technology in your work often? And can you talk a little bit about it? Well, the very first, the hotel show, the very first installation I ever did and about the first show I ever had in a gallery, I just knew that I wanted, I'm trying to think, but I, it just seemed, well, I had, a, I had a friend in college who became a director and he was starting out in New York. We'd worked on musicals together at Carleton College and um, he came to see my piece just before it was in fact, I think I asked him to help me with the lighting. And he came in and he said, so the hotels were supposed to be in a tropical setting. And so he said, I can give you the sun. You want the sun? <laughs> so he, and he had these lights at the back of the gallery facing toward the viewer as they came in. Yeah, so I, I knew I wanted the light to be right. And I knew I wanted, you know, I wanted people to walk around and feel that they were transported to some place. Um, not just looking at sculpture, the sculpture, that sculpture, four separate sculptures, but they were in an, in a place. And so, and then I, I wanted, I just knew I wanted the sounds of a summer night. So I, I just got a record or a tape or something that I found in a record store. And I had a little cassette player and I put that at the back of the gallery and that was the sound. So, um, so very low tech, uh, <laughs> but it worked, you know, it worked. Somebody had to turn it on. Uh, that's not unusual. And it was on a loop, so it just played over and over. I think it was, yeah, it was a whole series of environmental sounds that you could get back in the early 70s. 
And then, um, but the most recent thing is the, the video that was involved in the installation I did um, of you know, Ship and Dock, Nights and Days, or The Gazer, it's a long title. But I knew I wanted ship in the distance and I wanted the sense of night and day, night, day, coming and going and time passing. And so I didn't know how to do, I did the gouache, one for night and one for day. And then I knew I wanted a fade between, but I had to have somebody help me with the, with the video. And then I just watched and watched. I sat down with a piece overnight and maybe with my journal and watched and watched till I knew how long I wanted the progression to be or the, you know, the loop to be and how fast and slow I wanted the sound. I mean, I wanted the, the light to change. But I had people help me with the technical, but it felt pretty natural, actually. And I was really happy with the way it turned out. I did, there was one thing in the gallery that, um, <clears throat> well, for one thing, I knew I wanted, I wanted the gazer in the back, the house in the back to be, to have a whole big sky and sea view to, to look at. So I learned that there's such a thing called video mapping. You know, somebody, a video, young video artist came and stretched it out so the image out so it would fit the wall uh i wouldn't have known how to do that and then there were there was a funny corner in the wall in the gallery it was a projection so i had to i created um and it distorted the image um and so i created in cardboard the corner of the gallery the projection the odd part of the wall and then her name was um bahara Khashoggi from iran she lives in new york now but she video mapped it so it was also a small space there wasn't you know it was a short throw projector i learned a few things in terms but she was able to map it so it covered the whole wall of the gallery and and she dealt with the distortion that the projection in the gallery wall created so that you didn't notice it and you felt like you were looking at just you know a wide seascape but um but that was exciting so i want to go on and use video again but i'll need i'll need technical help i'm not going <laughs> to do it all myself how long does that process take from the initial building of like the first day of building the as joanna mentioned earlier we experienced some technical difficulties while recording this episode via video conferencing before the sound cuts out joanna had just asked donna how long the building process is for one of her installations from day one to the final day and Donna answered that the build time varies from project to project. Well, it, it can really vary wildly. Um, some pieces I've started having no idea when, when or where I'm going to show them, but just trusting it'll come along, and it, and it usually has. So those I can really be kind of leisurely about. But it's a good question. And I, um, the story about the Venice Biennale that I talked about in the class, I, glancingly, the piece was, well, I was showing with Holly Solomon Gallery, and, and this is an example of something going stunningly fast. I showed, was showing with Holly Solomon Gallery. She brought a man who was a curator of the Venice Biennale over, and they were talking about, and he was saying, oh, well, I want this piece. It was a piece I had just barely begun. Again, we experienced some technical difficulties as Donna shares with us the story of how a piece of her artwork ended up at the Venice Biennale. I don't know, I couldn't figure out what to say or right away, but then I then I figured it out and I said, well, Holly, a piece takes as much time as it needs to take. You know, you can't you can't force it. It's finished when it's finished. It decides when it's finished. But I said, I'll, she said, quit your job. How many assistants do you need? This first time I'd ever worked with assistants. 
And so I did quit my job in publishing, burned my bridges there. And then I said, okay, I'll, I'll take your offer. But I said, on the condition, the piece will be finished. If it's not finished, you know, and it's up to the piece to decide when it's finished, then it won't go. So she said, okay. But then I thought, I really want to be in the Venice Biennale. I really do want to finish this. And so I took her offer and all these, she sent down all these people who worked at the gallery and they were at my command every day for many days. And the piece actually just grew and grew and grew because I had assistance and I would sit in with my journal at the end of a day and I'd think of all these things that I wanted to have happen the next day and all these people would come in and at the end of that day, those would all be done and I'd think up more things. <laughs> so it became the biggest, most complex piece I'd ever made, but it was also made in the shortest amount of time. So it, you know, it often, when I was in college, deadlines really helped me with papers and stuff. So um, usually it's always been a scramble to the end, but it's partly because the ideas just keep coming and coming and I don't want to shut them off. So I just, but there've often been huge rushes toward the end to get the piece finished. And it's kind of being finished at the, even in the gallery, you know, like the last color on a railing or something. So yeah, so it varies wildly. You've mentioned your journal a few times. Would you uh, talk about it for the listeners on the podcast? Um, well, the journal, and if you if you came to my studio, you'd see, well, I just moved recently, but I, it's, it's, I've still got shelves for the journal. The journals, here's a journal, so I'm retyping. Here's my current journal. They're mm -hmm. all Windsor and Newton books. I write kind of big. I, I don't know if I always did, but I like the, the paper. So I finish about seven a year, but that's how I develop the metaphor in the work. Like after a work session where I've been building, and you know, just doing things I don't have to think much about, but you know, does this piece of wood fit place I want it to go? And do I need to cut it again? Then I sit down with my journal and then I free associate and the metaphor develops. And then it sort of tells me where the piece wants to go next. But if you came to my studio, you would see, well, figure I'm 77 years old now. And since 1960 something, I've been filling seven books a year. So it's a great long, long shelf with all, all the books. And, um, but it, it's really key to the way I think and develop a piece. The writing is an important part of it. And it, it, it's for me, but I, started out with a lot of with poets was the first group of friends I had in New York. Peter Sheldahl, the art critic for the New Yorker was a college classmate of mine. So um, he introduced me to these poets and the first public exposure my work had was uh, flyers and announcements or, you know, for poetry books, usually they were mimeographed and, uh, you know, it was very low tech printing, but that's the first public exposure my work um, had. And, so, and some of the poets have asked for excerpts from my journals. So some of them have been published a little bit. And you said you're retyping your journals? You go back and type them up after you've filled them oh, up? Oh, well, I started doing that. I started doing that and I'm typing. So this is journal number five from 1977. And I started doing that a few years ago because, and I, I just have lost, I, I just moved and I lost the typing out because I'd done it many years ago. I think I can't find it. So I'm retyping right now. But um, one of the poetry press, a small poetry press out of Detroit, the guy, Bill Bamberger, uh, had it, has it. Uh, he doesn't publish too much now, but he um, says that he, he would always say that he liked to publish work that he thought was great, but nobody else was publishing. And he, that included people like, you know, a work, particular work maybe by Allen Ginsberg. He's published some big names. And one, one year he um, said, your journals are going to be my next book. But then 
there's so many of them and uh, who can read my handwriting. So <laughs> I, 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 and then I typed and typed and typed and typed, but I figured this was useful too for me, not just for him. So I have most of them, you know, typed out and edited a little bit um, because sometimes personal stuff gets in there that's not particularly about the art. But anyway. Um, Will you elaborate a little bit on how, like how you made your work in the feminist movement and how it affected you? Um, yeah, thank you for asking that question. Uh, well, as I talked in the, about it in the class, um, the women's movement, I mean, I was one of the first um, women artists consciousness raising group in the city. And um, actually Adrian Piper was in my group and uh, Rosemary Mayer, some really interesting, terrific women, most of us artists. And um, so the way the consciousness raising group would go would be you pick a topic, everybody think about it for a week in the beginning of the next and we met once a week and we drank wine and brought food and you know it was quite congenial but it was really serious too so for instance we maybe okay next week we'll talk about our fathers our relationship with our fathers and go around and the idea was you go around and everybody gets to speak for maybe five minutes uninterrupted so it was not group therapy and one thing i loved was that you know often in a group maybe two people, if, if four people are all thinking to say the same thing, the first person says it, says it, and the other three decide, oh, well, I don't need to say it now. But you would hear the same thing from each person around. What we heard that night was that most of us felt we had very little emotional relationship with our fathers. So then we'd open up discussion. Why is that? What, you know, it, so it was really fascinating. And you did, if you heard the same thing one person said it, the next person said it, the next person said it. You know, for me, it became sort of thinking about, okay, you live in a building and everybody has a terrible plumbing problem, but nobody talks about it. <laughs> and they all think they're alone or battling with the landlord. But if they all say, oh, no, I have the same situation, then you can work together. So it was, um, but I, I found it incredibly inspiring. It stopped being just Donna Dennis wants to make art, but I really wanted to find out what kind of art women, Lucy Lepard, a critic, said um, around this time, she said, we won't find out what kind of art women really make on their own until we've had a generation of women taught by women. But anyway, I was really curious, do women have a different kind of art to make and a different kind of contribution to make? And I think I really believed there was something there and I wanted to be part of finding out what that was. So it gave me an enormous um, freedom because I could also say, well, minimalism is out there but it doesn't really seem to fit me i can just make any art i want to make and i think that's where i went back to my childhood from the consciousness raising groups because we thought a lot about how we were and talked a lot about how what forces had shaped us as we were growing up and that's how i got to what i like to play and do as a child and you know make little houses out of almost anything so it was a lot of freedom but it also gave me a sense of real responsibility to speak for other women and to connect with other women and uh, help discover the voice of women in, in world affairs and make it bigger and stronger. So with my work, the first things were false front hotels and they just had a mirror, they had no interior space. And then the next pieces were these tourist cabins that had a little bit of interior space. And the more complex the works got and the bigger and the more interior space, I felt that that was a metaphor for women making more of a place for themselves in the world. So, you know, people may not see the feminism in my work, but it really, really was a driving factor for me. I couldn't have 
develop the work I did without it. Do you have any other thoughts or pearls of wisdom that you think are important for young artists to know, particularly female artists? Um, let me see. I mean, that's a big one, but I'd say mostly trust yourself, trust your intuition. Maybe a writing thing is a good good thing. Keep a journal where you're just allowing yourself to explore something. Um, it's not for publication or anything, just to help to help you think. I think the journal thing, mostly it helps me think. Your work is important. We need, I mean, when I first got excited about feminism, it was partly like, wow, we're wasting all this talent in the world. We're wasting like half of the talent in the world if women don't have a place to to speak and think and be heard. So, you know, take it as a real exciting responsibility. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I have a question for you. We have about two minutes left. Okay. Um, but you were talking that you were telling us that you had a writing exercise for us in the class. Yeah. You want to know what it was? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, well, let me see if I can. Yeah, I don't have the, the images with me, but I was going to show some images of mm -hmm. different kinds of houses. And I don't know if you know, Louise. And then the last thing of, you know, like big kind of palace place or a funny little house that's just perched on a rock in the in a lake um, or one that's covered with sod and is almost sunken into the earth and part of the earth. Um, and then uh, there were a couple of Louise Bourgeois drawings. Have you, you know, her things where it's like a body and legs, but the top part is a house. But anyway, I was going to say, just get ready to write. I'd show those images and then I'd say, um, get ready to write, get your pen ready. I'm going to tell you what to write about and then just go uh, until you're all written out. Don't question it, just whatever comes out. And it was like, you are a house. What kind of house are you? You know, what do you look like? Uh, where are you? What do you feel like? What do you do? How do you interact with your world? Do you have stairs? Do you have a cellar? Do you have an attic? You know, what's your outside like? What's your inside like? And I don't know if you know the work of Gaston Bachelard. I mean, he writes a lot about, you know, all the feelings that come up and associations when you're up in an attic and whether you go up the stairs or down the stairs and what it's like to have a drawer and open the drawer. And uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of wonderful, wonderful writing and thinking about architecture. It's called the poetics of space. So that was what, and then I was going to have some of you read what you wrote. That sounds, thank you so much. I could do it now if you can. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. It's greatly appreciated. Sorry we couldn't meet in person, but this is this kind of works. Kind of works. So <laughs> lovely to meet you. We at least have the opportunity for that. Okay, so thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next time when our guest will be Holly Hughes. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Donna. Thank you, Donna. Thank you. The Performance Lab podcast was brought to you by Contemporary Performance Network in association with the Sarah Lawrence College Theatre MFA program. For more information, please visit our websites at www.contemporaryperformance.com or www.sarahlawrence.edu.